Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's time to shut up shop. It's time to close the shutters. It's time to chuck everybody out. And it's definitely time to stop enjoying yourself. Why? Because your masters have said so. Because you've all been so irresponsible that we haven't been able to stop the spread of a virus that nobody else has been able to stop either. So there, just go home and don't come back out again, please. The national diseases of fear, loathing and outright dictatorship have firmly taken a grip of those highly paid politicians north of the border. Yesterday, the leader of the SNP, Scotland's First Minister Nicola Sturgeon, pronounced that all pubs and restaurants will be prohibited from selling alcohol starting tomorrow because Scotland's people can't be trusted to take part in their national pastime without being reckless, dangerous and downright terrifying. Now, anyone who's been in a Glasgow bar after 11pm knows that to be true. It's all part of the charm, isn't it? And now it looks like Boris Johnson will do the same for parts of the north of England today or tomorrow. Last night, Scotland was up in arms. And this morning, we'll speak to historian Neil Oliver, who was so incandescent with rage yesterday uh, that he said, I have to come back on. I've got to talk about it. Businessman Donald McLeod is going to join us as well. It is fair to say that in the parlance of Glaswegians, they are absolutely raging. Uh, 0344-499-1000. Coming up later on, we've got Donald's brother, Lewis, from Spitting Image on his first week on the new series. He hasn't had much to make fun of, has he? There's only been Donald Trump going into hospital, coming out of hospital, uh, the vice presidential debate. Uh, of course, uh, there's been plenty going on here uh, on the home front as well. Helen Dale joins us too. The author and lawyer will talk Brexit, the referendum, and an interesting question. What might have happened if we'd never joined the European Union in the first place? 03444991000. As ever, we want to hear from you. Uh, your stories of life in the real world are exactly what need to be told to the powers that be. We've already had some great calls this week, uh, and I'd like to have some more. Please tell us what you're being told, what's going on in your life in the midst of all of this madness. And we'll be heading over to the US of A for the latest on Donald Trump and the vice presidential debate last night between Kamala Harris and Mike Pence. LaDonna Harvey uh, will be bringing us all of that. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio pro- station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, again, I will remind you that I always know what day it is. Uh, It is today, Thursday. Uh, Yesterday was Wednesday. Uh, Neil Oliver joins us every Wednesday, and he joined us yesterday to talk about some very interesting things about what is the NHS for if it's not for dealing with worldwide pandemics. Yesterday, uh, we were told that Nicola Sturgeon was not going to do the full two-week circuit breaker lockdown. But then in the afternoon, she pretty much did it. 
even though it's not quite as bad as she threatened it to be. Basically, you can't go to a restaurant after 6pm. You can't go to a pub and drink anything but water or orange juice. There is no alcohol to be sold anywhere across the central belt of Scotland. Let's talk now to Neil Oliver, who wants to come back on uh, and have say his piece, for want of a better word. Neil, welcome back. I didn't think I'd see you this soon. Yeah, thanks, Mike. I'm terribly vexed. Yes, I'm not surprised. If I was up there, I'd be terribly vexed. I mean, what is the point of a pub in Scotland that doesn't sell alcohol? Well, it's just another nail in the coffin, I think, for large parts of the hospitality uh, industry up here. I mean, you don't need to hear that from me. The, the, the channels and, the, and the, the radio stations are full of, of publicans and other people from that industry mm. laying it out in, in pretty cold-blooded terms about what the consequences long-term of all this are going to be. Uh, but it's just, it's so uh, debilitating, it's so infuriating, it's so uh, confusing. A apart from anything else, already, it's not even 24 hours since that announcement came out, and so many people have, have made the, the, the connection that if, if people can't uh, be in pubs drinking alcohol, it will just inspire house parties, the length and breadth of the country. And if, if, if the powers that be think that's not going to happen, uh, then, then they're dreaming. You know, it's absolutely inevitable uh, that there will be a, a, an increase in the number of people who, who, will, who will flout the, the regulations and they will meet in, in one another's homes. And I've mentioned to you before, uh, you know, the First Minister was using the word again yesterday, compliance, which, which puts the fear of God in me, that kind of authoritarian language, you know, that people haven't been complying. Yeah. You think, well, if there is, as I would predict, lots of people start meeting covertly in their homes with family, what, what do you do to make people comply with that? Do yeah. they then ban the sale of alcohol in all the supermarkets, or do they send out more and more people to walk up and down the streets listening to listening out for the infuriating sounds of somebody having a good time, right. or, or even just a quiet chat with, with family? And, and in any event, this this it's constantly being spun north and south of the border that... that that it's not working because of us, that it's our fault. Yes. And because we're not complying. Now, in, in, in the case of First Minister Sturgeon, you know, right back at the beginning of all this, uh, she had to get rid of her, uh, one of her, her senior medical advisor, Catherine Calderwood, mm. because Catherine Calderwood, who's a, a friend of the First Minister, who was laying out the message day after day about the, the, the importance of abiding by the rules, twice she went off to her holiday home, okay? Now, up in not, five, yeah, I remember, yeah. Up in five. Now, I'm not necessarily saying I blame her for that. I'm sure she, I'm sure she felt she was, you know, uh, you know that, that nobody was going to come to any harm as a result. But in that instance, somebody that was as close to Nicola Sturgeon as that, and, and who was trumpeting the message on an hourly basis, didn't comply. Right. And now, at this end of the, the lockdown, there's Margaret Ferrier, the Rutherglen MP, who made two trips on a train while she had symptoms. Yeah. One of the trips after she had a positive test and knew that she had COVID, and then she went to church right. and sat in a congregation. That's a close personal friend of Nicola Sturgeon. Yeah. And if Nicola Sturgeon can't secure compliance from her closest allies, the, her foot soldiers who are helping her to impose the regulations, then how realistic can she be about expecting compliance from the general public? Any of whom don't well, like exactly. her job. And it's as, it's as Peter Hitchens said, you know, if the people who are telling us to behave cannot behave, then what is the point? I mean, the way he put it is that even they don't really believe the advice is actually any good and will make any difference. No, the only thing, I think what is demonstrably the, the case is that if they lock everyone up, if everyone stays in their homes pretty much all the time, 
then they can they can significantly stop the spread if they do it that way. And every time they they relax any of that, let people out, you know, mm. you know, let people go to the restaurants, open the pubs, whatever, then the numbers inevitably start to go up. So it, it, it's the case because they don't have the vaccine and they might never have a working vaccine. The only effective tool they've got in their armory is shutting everyone in their homes forever. Yeah. And is that what they're constantly contemplating cycling back to? Because that is not going to work. We've said this over and over again. Yeah. One way or another, they have to get to the point where people are out and about, at least the people who, you know, who are not a, a serious risk from the COVID virus. Shield the elderly, shield the sick, and let everybody else out. But if they keep on cycling back to, oh, well, you've all got to go back to your bedrooms because you haven't been good boys and girls, right. then we're going to be in this on this hamster wheel until the end of time. Yeah. And it's absolutely ludicrous, isn't it? There's a great piece by Ian Martin in the Times in Scotland today, though you had a chance to read it, uh, in which he also sets out uh, how the shine, in his words, is coming off Nicola Sturgeon. Because I know a lot of people, we'll be speaking to Donald McLeod later on in this show, uh, who are supporters of independence, who used to really, really love um, Nicola Sturgeon, but who are now questioning not only her kind of veracity not only her authority but just what it is that she's doing because she's she's kind of boxed herself in to this kind of plutocratic emperor's role of scotland you know she's no longer just the first minister she's the kind of the queen of all she surveys and he points out um that there's something rotten at the heart of it all particularly when it comes to the alex salmon uh, inquiry which is currently going on and he basically paints a picture of a woman who says she forgot that she had a meeting with Alex Salmond at the beginning and at the middle part of this inquiry uh, when she managed not to tell anybody that she talked to him about it. Well, quite. You, you can't credibly hold yourself up as the only person who's delivered all of the messages. You, you know, she has, she has made herself the sole face of Scotland's response mm. to the COVID uh, pandemic. And yet then say... It's something as important, as surely memorable as, as people in the recent past having come to you and t- talked to you about serious allegations about the previous First Minister, your own mentor and, and long-term ally, and expect people to believe that you just forgot that had taken place. Hmm. Uh, you know, either it's not true, or if it's true, then, you, well, uh, what kind of what kind of functioning, uh, you know, authority have we got? If, if a conversation so important about something potentially so uh, damaging and scandalous, uh, you know, was, was forgotten. And it does seem, it does seem as well, that, that whole, uh, the, the, the inquiry is, has been frustrated all the way down the line because of the, the, the SNP's reluctance and refusal to, to, to give over information uh, that's being requested mm. so, that the, so that the inquiry can properly uh, run its course. Uh, there have been uh, uh, allegations made about the behaviour of the chief executive of the SNP, Peter Murrell, who's, uh, who is Nicola Sturgeon's husband. That, that, you know, there are uh, allegations out there that, that, that he was trying to stoke, uh, you know, pressure to be brought to bear on, uh, on Alex Salmon by the, by the police. Those, those allegations are out there. And now we've got this uh, sudden tightening of tactics around, around COVID, uh, which of course attracts everyone's attention away from everything mm. else that's going on, and rather than talk about the the, the very questionable salmon inquiry and, and, and all of the associated allegations, you, you know, we're now everyone's back to oh, back to square one. Yet more 
uh, very troublesome regulations and restrictions being implied, you know, for the next stage of the of the COVID virus. And yeah, I'm I'm sure for many people the shine will be coming off. I mean, this is an administration that, that has had that's a disaster after disaster. You know, Scottish education has been on a downward spiral for years, despite mm. education apparently being you know uh, Nicola Sturgeon's you know primary focus in years past. You know, you've got the, the, the hulks of the ferries rusting on the Clyde. You know, the bridge across the Forth has to close if there's frost. The hospitals that can't open because of all sorts of problems with their hygiene and the, and the way that they were built. Scandal after scandal involving individuals. Um, it, it's, and, the, and then the handling of the, of the, of the COVID uh, pandemic, it's been the same north of the border as it has been south of the border. You know, the, the numbers are different, but the percentages are the same. Yeah. You know, the terrible situation in the care homes where people with positive COVID tests were sent back into care homes and, uh, and you had the, you know, the, the, the death toll that, that resulted there. There's, it, Boris Johnson and Nicola Sturgeon are just dancing around one another. You know, one, one goes slightly harder on a, on a regulation, the other one goes slightly looser. And they're just, you know, they're, they're locked in this dance mm. together to try and, uh, you know, have a, a degree of one-upmanship on one another. Yes. But we've just as bad a, a pandemic as, as everybody else. But the, 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 the UK media, the bulk of the UK media, using the, the theory that my enemy's enemy is my friend, and because Nicola Sturgeon demonstrably doesn't like the Conservatives and Boris Johnson, neither does, you know, so many of the commentary at the UK media, that they're, they're quite happy to... To blow smoke for, for yeah. but as I said, to, as I said to Julie Hartley Brewer, part of that is based on total and utter ignorance of anything outside of London by the Westminster Bubble Brigade. You know, the people who work in Westminster, and in that number, I include not just the special advisors and some of the MPs, but almost all of the media. They have no clue what happens in Scotland. They wouldn't know how to find Holyrood if you showed them on a map. They wouldn't know how to find the garage in Sucky Hall Street if you told them how to get there from the airport. They've never been there. They don't know what it's like, right? You know, and you and I both know. Neil, that, that, you know, the hospitality business in both Edinburgh and Glasgow is at the very heart of, of Scotland's economy, you know, and, and the idea that uh, that they're going to lock it down and stop people from going there because who's going to go to the pub to have an orange juice, right? Um, well, it doesn't, there's no proof that it will even work. I mean, the front page of the Mail today, when will they listen? You know, people are now catching up with what I've been saying for, for days now. Local lockdowns don't work. No, they don't. It's worth pointing out, probably, because our uh, school holidays are on a different schedule, a different uh, time in the calendar, as opposed to downside. The next two weeks of this, which is this short-circuit lockdown, or whatever they're calling it, or the the tightened regulations, it falls right across the school holidays. Yeah. Okay? So, I mean, that's a time when, you know, lots of people were, were looking forward to finally maybe getting away, getting a change of scene, getting to, you know, getting to the seaside, maybe you know, walking on the beach and going for fish and chips on a pint. Uh, that's put the kibosh on that. Yeah. So, you know, Nicholas Sturgeon doesn't have to worry about, the, you know, the, the schools. You don't have to shut the schools because the schools are on holiday anyway. Then you've got there's the, the hospitality uh, sector, which is part and parcel of the tourist industry. Now, as I say, this is a, this is a holiday coming up with lots of people making or having made plans uh, to get away. Now, how much of that? will be put on the back burner because people think, well, you know, there's no point in going, so will that lead to cancelled bookings and, and, a, and a further hit? But the, the, it, it seems obvious to everyone that you speak to that the wounds that are being inflicted upon sectors like hospitality are terminal, fatal. Yeah. That, you know, maybe maybe some of the big chains and some of the bigger 
corporations have got the have got the the debt to absorb it. But for countless small businesses up and down the country, everything you can think of, I mean, as well as hospitality, you know, everything else you can think of, uh, will be will be put to the wall by this. Mm. And the, the other the other luxury that that, uh, that the SNP, the Scottish government, has is that however bad things get, there's always that get geo free card of blaming Westminster. You know, if you, if there isn't the money to pay for this, that, and the next thing, if the furlough scheme, you know, runs out of steam, uh, you know, if you end up with massive unemployment or all the rest of it, well, there's always that opportunity for a devolved administration yeah. up here to hold a hand, just to put their hands up and say, oh well, we weren't able to do any more because after all. You know, it's always Westminster's fault. Yes, and I mean, have they put any plans in in place for, for subsidising all of this? Are they offering any kind of furlough style scheme to I, any of these I've businesses? Heard of, I have, uh, you know, I've I've heard of a, of a figure of forty million pounds floating about uh, as a as a, a rescue package or something to as mm. a as a life raft. But as yet, I don't think Ruth Davidson, the leader of the or the spokesman for the for the Conservatives in Scotland, was asking questions about that in Parliament immediately after. Nicola Sturgeon's announcement, but I, I don't think the fine print of how that money is to be applied for and, and, and exactly how it will be administered, I don't think the fine print of that uh, is there. Mm. Uh, but you can't, it's not about, it's keeping people afloat with, with handouts in the short term is not going to be the remedy for the long term damage. No. And also, presumably, presumably, Neil, after two weeks, right, when they reopen the pubs and they start selling alcohol again, you'll be back where you were sort of on Wednesday, won't you? Well, the numbers will go that way again. Yeah. I mean, everyone, you, you feel as if you're just going blue in the face, repeating the same things and seeing things that other people are saying. But of course, the numbers are going up because they're testing more people. Yeah. If you keep testing more and a larger and larger percentage of the population, then you're going to get more and more positive results. And I notice as well, it's quite often the case now that they've stopped using figures and they're all about percentages. You know, so it's like an 80% increase in this, yeah, 50%. Right. If you've got two people in hospital with COVID and then you've got four, that's a 100% increase. Right. Right. 100% is a lot scarier sounding than four. Yes. You know what they've also started doing is I saw some graphs yesterday where they've gone back now taking realising that we saw through their previous lies about not including March and April and May uh, in the graph of, of infections and infection rates. They've now gone back to March uh, to show the graph, but all they've done is count the actual positive tests when we know they weren't doing very many tests. So they've gone away from what they said about 100,000 people being infected a day because they made that figure up as well. And and it's gone back down to like 6,000. I mean, do they really think we're that stupid? Yeah, you can start to drown in numbers. You know, I was, yeah. having, I was having a look around at government figures that are, that are available online. In, in Over the winter between 2017 and 2018, 23,100 people in Scotland died of the flu. Right. Okay, 23,100. And, and so far, the number of people that have died within the 28-day period of a positive COVID test in Scotland is 2,500. Blimey. So, so you're talking about an order of, literally an order of magnitude, 10 times the difference. Yeah. But, the, but the numbers, the numbers are becoming, are increasingly coming together as just a, a, a cloud, a mm. smoke screen that, that's preventing anybody from thinking clearly. The bigger issue is, again, it's denying people the agency to demonstrate how well they can cope in adversity. Yeah. I was on the phone to my mum yesterday and she was talking about, she was remembering the bombing of Clyde Bank. Yeah. Okay. Now, 
she was a little girl. She was eight or nine years old when, when Clyde Bank, which is a, she lived in Renfrew on one side of the River Clyde. That's where, uh, that's and, where my mother lived. My mother lived uh, in opposite the Babcocks and Wilcox factory in French yeah. Street. Well, Clyde Bank was was levelled. Yeah, it was flattened that one night. Now, the, hundreds of people, thousands, I think about a thousand people lost their lives. Mm. Nobody had a home. So everybody in Clyde Bank had to be, my mum listened to this, it was only a mile away from where she lived, this devastation. And the, the, it, it happened over a weekend. Nobody had a home. So everybody had to be relocated to here, there and everywhere. On the Monday morning, it was the, the Germans had tried to flatten John Brown's shipyard. It was building all the warships yeah. for, the, for the war effort. On the Monday morning, all the men turned up for their shift. Right. And they'd be, some of them had walked half through the night for miles, having lost everything, lost family members, lost their homes. And in, the, in that kind of threat to life, they turned up on the Monday morning determined to get on with it. That is the that is the the potential of this of the people, or it has been the potential of the people. If you work with them, if you speak to them honestly, if you trust common sense and the spirit of the people, you can cope with a pandemic or indeed anything else. But this campaign that's been going at the moment to terrify people, to insist on compliance, to contemplate putting wardens on the street to you know, to, to spy on people, to see what they're doing, encouraging people to to daub in their neighbours if they yeah. see them, you know, breaking the restrictions. That runs entirely in the wrong direction of leadership and the way that you should be harnessing the potential and the power and the and the good nature and the common sense of people. It's to undermine it and erode it in the way that's being done by this by this drip by drip death of a thousand cuts that's being inflicted upon the people in response to just the latest uh, virus to arrive among us. I, I'll be honest with you and say I think it's inexcusable and yeah. unforgivable. I think you're absolutely right. And imagine if it, on top of that, it turns out uh, that it's also part of the reason for doing it at this particular time is to distract everybody from all the other stuff that's going on. Because as Ian Martin points out, just imagine the scenario if it were Boris Johnson rather than Nicola Sturgeon. And here's what he says. Boris cannot recall or won't say what he knew and when, prompting accusations that he is obstructing a parliamentary inquiry into the scandal. He admits he was worried that his predecessor would resign from the party, which would have caused embarrassment. Yet he insists he never discussed any of this with his partner, who has been chief executive of the Conservative Party for more than 20 years. That's what we're talking about. It's completely unthinkable. I mean, other commentators have have drawn parallels with the uh, with the with Watergate and uh, U.S. President yeah. Richard Nixon, and the stance that he began to take before un all unravelled, mm. where he was basically saying, "If I did it, I'm the U.S. President, and it, therefore it can't be illegal." Right. And that and that I will, you know, I will tell the American public what they need to know. I will make those decisions and, and tell the, the American public what they need to know rather than what they demanded to know. Yeah. And of course, we know how that unraveled for, for Richard Nixon, but the parallels have been drawn. This, you know, Nicholas Sturgeon stood up in Parliament and said that the inquiry would have every bit of information that it needed. She personally would oversee and make sure that everything that was required, every, every record, every, every email and record of conversation would be handed over. And that, that has not happened. And, you know, as you say, if... Goodness me! I mean, if it was Boris Johnson or anybody else, they would be they'd have been hung out to dry. Absolutely. And the, and the cheerleaders for it would have been the same media that, in the main, 
is is celebrating has always celebrated uh, every every move that, that Nicola Sturgeon and the rest of her team makes. But this is unfortunately the result of having what is effectively now in Scotland a one-party state, Neil, isn't it? Well, that's the, that's the expression that, that more and more people uh, are using. Uh, that there's no uh, there's no uh, effective uh, opposition, and that's a that's a long, complicated story. I mean, that goes back through the course of the whole of my lifetime. Mm. Uh, that 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 you know that disconnect. You know, it used to be you know the position that that the SNP occupies now used to be occupied by by Labour uh, in Scotland. Yeah. And then, with the demise of, of Scottish Labour into that power vacuum, was 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 sucked the Scottish National Party, mm. uh, and now they, on their own, bestride the Scottish political landscape. Uh, and there isn't there isn't credible opposition, and that has brought with a with a a, a very upsetting uh, complacency, and this sense in which no matter what anyone does, uh, the, the uh, within the SNP it never seems the consequences. There's long lists of. Of, of individuals who've been accused of, of all sorts of impropriety and, and inappropriate behaviour, uh, and then there, there have been the large scale, you know, the, the named persons uh, legislation, which was an attempt to uh, to, to get a, 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 a stranger, a, a nominated person, uh, into every family, you know, mm. to, to be the, in between every child and their parents. Yeah. Uh, there's the, the hate crime bill. Uh, that's been roundly criticised and condemned by by anyone with a stake in the in, in the law in Scotland, you know the ferries that were that were commissioned and are rusting now on the on the Clyde that I've already mentioned. The, the two hospitals that, that haven't been able to open because their construction was botched. It's a long litany of 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 failure, and yet, you know, the, the, they are not the party. The government is not realistically held to account in the way that a similarly failing administration would be in Westminster. Yeah, and look at the look at the dogs abuse that. That, that Boris Johnson and his team get all the time, day in, day out, from from so much of the commentary, yeah. and it's it's just not the case north of the border. No. It's a shocking state of affairs. Neil, listen, really appreciate you coming on again. And I can hear in your voice that this is something that's really angered you. And it's angered an awful lot of people. And it will anger more people south of the border because it looks very much as though it will happen here in the north of England, certainly, uh, in the coming days. Boris Johnson more than likely to copy uh, this kind of shutting down of pubs and restaurants and the hospitality business, which is so key to the recovery of the economy. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It isn't just Scotland that's going to be affected by this. Very, very much likely it is that Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, uh, is going to announce similar lockdown measures for parts of the north of England. We're not entirely sure precisely exactly where, uh, but it certainly would appear that all of the areas that are currently under some form of local lockdown, many parts of the northeast, many parts of Lancashire and Yorkshire, uh, will be included. Let's talk now to Jonathan Walker, Director of Policy at North East England's Chamber of Commerce. Jonathan, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, it, we're hearing, as I'm sure you are, uh, on the sort of political tom-toms, uh, uh, if you like, that uh, that Boris is likely to announce something similar. What I find puzzling, and I don't know whether you heard what Neil Oliver had to say about Scotland, is that there's no actual evidence um, that people going out to pubs and going out to restaurants is spreading this disease any faster than anything else that's going on. 
I think you know what what we're grappling with here is is actually a complete lack of of, of evidence, and I mean that in the sense that we're not uh, seeing these decisions backed up by evidence from government, and and if that evidence does exist, it would help with the communications efforts. But yet again, we've got businesses across the the north of England now who are thrown into a state of uncertainty and panic because they're getting their information uh, through the media, through the front pages of newspapers. Yes, exactly right. And I mean, the problem is for an awful lot of these businesses, not only uh, in the north of England, but also in Scotland, they've been keeping their heads above the water, surely and and purely and simply because they've been able to open since July the 4th. They've been able to get some income coming in. Uh, They haven't been able to to get themselves back to full capacity. And anyone who's been to a pub or a restaurant will know that they're, you know, they're sort of half empty and but they're still doing business. But this will kill a lot of them off and many of them won't survive. It's an incredibly tough time to be in in that sector and the uncertainty doesn't help. Um, Businesses have been doing their absolute utmost to to keep their customers, to keep their staff safe. Um, And it's not fair to to sort of tar them with the the same brush and to say that they are at fault uh, for this. The overwhelming majority of businesses in hospitality, retail, anything public facing are following the guidance. They are doing what they've been asked to do Mm. um, and they want to keep their customers safe. I know of one one business in Newcastle that has unfortunately said they've they've had to close, um, at least temporarily, because their takings are now at 85% down on Mm. what they would be normally. Right. And that is tragic, isn't it? Because people are willing to go and spend money in these places because most of them are very well um, uh, guarded. They're very safe COVID-wise because that's what they want to be. And they comply with government regulations. And yet the government just seems to be stymieing their ability to be successful at every turn. Look, if the evidence is there um, that, that these measures will ultimately help to end the pandemic, then then that is what businesses want. We want this to be over with. Uh, you know, we want to get back to some some degree of normality. And if the evidence is there, then fine. But that needs to be backed up by significant support to make sure we don't we don't gut this sector um, and significantly reduce the, the attractiveness of the great places right across the north um, because businesses go to the wall when they could have been supported to get through it. Yeah. And as far as you understand it, Jonathan, I mean, how would it work if there was to be this uh, a, a sort of tier three level brought into parts of the northeast of England? Because presumably they'd have to do it by postcode or something or they'd have to do it by by, by areas that they have identified as, as having a high incidence of infections. Um, you know, it's hard to know how it's going to work, isn't it? I mean, would it be the case that maybe, you know, like they did before, uh, you'd have one a pub shut on one side of the road and on the other side of the road is a pub that's open? I wish I wish I could answer that question as, as fully as I would like, mm. but we're working on the same information as, as everybody else, which is what is, is, is coming out through the press, whether that be through leaks, anonymous briefings, however that, that is coming out. And, and that's no disrespect to the journalists who are, who are doing their job and getting mm. these stories. But in the absence of full and clear guidance, which is what we've been calling for really since March, we, we don't know how, how these things are going to work. And as you say, there is always the law of, of unintended consequences, mm. um, particularly across our urban areas. And we've seen that in other places in the north where you might have had casinos closed and pubs open in one borough and, and the exact opposite in another. Mm. Um, people people will find a way around, around the rules. And, and in many cases, that's, that's to be expected. It, it's human nature. Um, businesses will do what they are asked to do. Um, they want to keep their customers and their staff safe. 
that is their utmost priority um, because in the long run, that is what will help them be sustainable. Yeah. In the short term, they're going to have to be helped. I mean, I was quite encouraged yesterday when I saw Keir Starmer for the first time actually putting a proper challenge to the government and saying, look, please bring us evidence before Monday that the 10pm curfew is actually based on some kind of medical decision rather than just an arbitrary kind of flick of the of the fingers or a toss of a coin you know i'd be amazed if the government is able to produce any kind of evidence because i don't think they've got any and i would like to see as you said some evidence that closing down pubs and closing down restaurants effectively in for the evening uh, is going to make any difference we know from from conversations we've had locally there is some there are some signs you know particularly that uh we all know when people have had a few drinks mm. social distancing could goes out the window uh slightly yeah but they're not going to stop are. drinking are they just because you shut the pub absolutely not it is it is human behavior and i think to be be expected that people do want to enjoy themselves um particularly in the run-up mm. to christmas our our important message to government is be clear with businesses about why you're doing this, what it is you're trying to do, what it is you're trying to achieve, and what are the thresholds at which you bring in these new rules? Because mm. not only do businesses need the support, they will need some light at the end of the tunnel to know that if they comply, that if they do what they're being asked, they are making a difference and are helping us get to a point where um, we can get back to normality. Yes, and also uh, perhaps an assurance that if the lockdown is for two weeks, that that's exactly what it is for, rather than uh, let's see how it goes. You know, two weeks pass and suddenly they go, well, you know, we're still not that happy with the R rate, so we're going to keep it shut for another two weeks. The indefinite nature is undoubtedly what's going to sap business confidence Mm. in this businesses uh, in hospitality they need to buy stock you know they need to buy food yeah. and drinking there are um it's quite simply there are barrels of beer that will now be going off um because businesses just pubs and restaurants and so on can't sell them quickly right. enough um and that that causes major cash flow issues for, for these types of firms and have you heard anything about what the plan might be uh, to compensate these uh, organizations that will have to um, limit their sales capabilities i mean is there going to be a, a, another furlough brought in is there going to be money made available i was ho- i'm told from neil oliver in scotland there might be something like 40 million pounds being made available to some businesses but it's not clear whether that's true or indeed whether uh, that money would be handed out and how it would be handed out there's a huge amount of, of confusion about that. What we're clear is the two big problems that need to be addressed are short-term cash flow issues. Um, and I don't think that, that loans are necessarily the answer to that. I think there does need to be some grant funding for those businesses that are essentially forced to close through public health restrictions. Um, something akin to furloughing as well that goes significantly further than the job support scheme. That scheme is not right for hospitality or aviation or the other sectors mm. that are being affected, um, where jobs can, can, to all intents and purposes, disappear overnight as the rules are changed. Yes. And if somebody is listening to this right now, Jonathan, who runs a business uh, in one of the areas that's likely to be affected, we're talking certainly Manchester, Liverpool, Newcastle, Sheffield, you know, other lots of other areas around those, those particular cities. I mean, what should they do? Can they get in touch with anybody to find out what's going on? I think what they should do first and foremost is, you know, is make sure they're doing everything right and by the book and following the rules that, mm. that are in place. Um, and as I say, the vast majority of businesses are, I would say, talk to local organisations, be it your, your, your local chamber of commerce, um, your local authority. There is still some support and funding out there for firms to try and get through this. Um, but also make your voice heard. Um, you know, make people feel reassured that you are safe uh, 
and that whatever happens with local restrictions, if you are able to keep operating, then then people should feel comfortable visiting your establishment um, and, and enjoying themselves. Absolutely right. Well, let's hope uh, it doesn't become necessary. But if it does, let's hope they do it right. Jonathan Walker, Director of Policy at North East England Chamber of Commerce. Thanks very much indeed for talking to us. It turns out the leader of Nottingham Council has voiced alarm at the delay in announcing tighter restrictions to control a surge in the area uh, until the traffic light system is announced on Monday. Uh, basically, they're saying uh, that people will have a blowout weekend in expectation of the crackdown. And that's exactly what people are going to do, because every time they announce one of these things, they say, yeah, we're going to shut everything, but we're not going to shut it till Monday. Okay, then. So we'll go out on Friday. We'll go out on Saturday. We'll go out on Sunday. And it's Thursday today. We might as well go out on Thursday as well while we're at it. It's absolute madness, craziness. And it ain't going to make any difference anyway, because what we do know is that all of these lockdown measures, these local lockdowns don't work. Uh, National lockdowns only work if everybody stays where they are and they don't move anywhere ever again, which is completely and utterly impractical. So what is going on? That's the question. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, we said we would never do this, right? But unfortunately, uh, because of the way that uh, the news has kind of panned out today, uh, we've ended up getting two members of the same family on in the same half hour. Uh, first up, it's Lewis McLeod to begin uh, the McLeod half hour. Uh, he's going to be followed by his brother, Donald McLeod, who's not very happy bunny this morning because of what Nicola Sturgeon did. Lewis, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Yeah, good morning, mate. Now, I'm, I'm sure that uh, you will mark this as one of the most uh, sort of 
uh, biggest milestones in your broadcasting career that uh, you have fronted up for the first time the McLeod Half Hour. Now I'm not hoping I'm hoping not to make a habit of this. Um, yeah, but it's thought, kind of special. You know, <laughs> I hardly see my brother, and this is well. I mean, you're not going to see dovetailing each other all week. You're not going to see much of him from now on either. You're not allowed to go anywhere, and you certainly oh, can't have a drink in a really bar. Not great, is it? It's awful, isn't it? Absolutely terrible. Listen, I thought what we should do though is kick off with uh, with obviously Donald Trump because clearly Donald Trump has had quite a week. I mean, uh, you know, it was less than a week ago uh, he was he was taken into hospital, Walter Reed Hospital in um, uh, in Maryland. Um, he didn't look that well suddenly a couple of days later he was fine again that's right you know it's very much it's a virus like no other but it seems to be terrified of me <laughs> and you might be immune mr president i understand well you know i'm that and I, well immune i'm illiterate but never mind the thing is it just kind of came in the window like a song and just flew away again and we don't really know why but it's probably because it's it's useless against me it has no defenses no defenses none at all and normally we would get Nigel Farage to comment on um, the president's <laughs> uh, state of health and, and, and indeed his campaign and how that's going um, does Nigel have any words for the president well the thing about it is now I was working on my impersonation of you and if I if I sort of gruff him up a little bit it sounds a little bit like you because I mean of course plank of the week you know there's a sort of similarity it's it, it, it's Mike Farage yes. I mean, but the thing about it is you know no 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 let me drink. That's the whole point. Do you know, know what was yeah. very funny? I, I did have a drink with Nigel Farage a while ago, and he told me that you did him. Um, and he was <laughs> laughing at the, the time that you did on Dead Ringers um, a, uh, a, an impersonation of the bloke flying the plane over the Burnley football match. And you went, right, go over to, over to, the, uh, to the pilot of the plane, and it was him. <laughs> and he yeah, said, I shouldn't have found it funny, but he said it was funny. <laughs> it's horrible when the sketch has been really scathing and... Uh, and it's arch satire, and then you have to meet them. You never really know how they're going to react. Right. No, no, Lewis. <laughs> well, no, but Nigel's actually a great guy. The thing about Nigel Farage, he's not like most politicians. He actually can make uh, make fun of himself. He can take the mickey out of himself. And as he says to me, I mean, once you've been in a plane crash, actually, the rest of the world it kind of pales into insignificance, and everything else that happens to you uh, doesn't really matter that much. Well, Mike, I actually think that's a, that's a really good point. I think that was what really spurned him to just... Uh, say what he felt and and those performances in uh, the European Parliament I, I thought were kind of amazing I mean yeah. look you know Van Rimpoy I mean look he looks like a low-grade bank clerk uh, you smell like a damp rag I mean who are you it was almost the sort of by surviving a plane crash he got a uh, second wind and uh, and has really went for it. Yeah, absolutely right. Now, I don't know whether you've been able to catch the uh, uh, this week's debate, because obviously last week's debate, Joe Biden and Donald Trump just shouted at one another. Um, last night, we had Mike Pence, who looks to me uh, like one of those dummies at a stingray. Um, you know, slightly uh, odd-looking um, head and a very weird-looking head, sort of head of hair as well. Um, yeah, he didn't. He, he doesn't appear to be very interesting to me. That's right. I mean, if you if you're really uh, if you if you because he doesn't move really, does he? He's no. very still. And uh, a fly landed on my head during the debate <laughs> and stayed there for two minutes. I I thought I was dead meat, but. It was the you most know, interesting. He, it was the most very, interesting. Uh, most interesting. The voice two is, minutes. It's, he is. He's kind of uh, very polite. It was much more staid than I think, obviously, last week's. But yeah. he seemed more civil. Uh, it may have been the screen right enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, the fly, the two minutes of the fly was the most time anybody'd spent listening to him, I think, at any point, really. Two minutes <laughs> is a long time in the world of, of Mike Pence, it seems to me. 
It was actually Trump. He was miniaturized. I just wanted to get close to his ear to give him some advice, but I couldn't get in, you know? Well, that was the other thing about Joe Biden. I mean, did he or did he not wear an earpiece? You know, there was all sorts of pictures going out on uh, social media of him with what looked like something up his arm, uh, a black thing in his ear. You know, was he in fact being fed the answers? If he was being fed the answers, he needs to fire the guy that was feeding them to him. Well, normally, you know, if there's, you know, if my flies are undone, then I just talk out my ass. But, you know, uh, I, I, oh, come on, man. You know, yeah, I suppose anything that, that Biden would do, it would look like he was just uncomfortable. But it's, they're watched so critically during those debates that, yeah, I mean, would they get directions? And what would they say to them? Could you imagine giving Donald Trump? Stage directions yeah. would be the hardest thing in the world. Well, know? I love that guy who, who whose name escapes me for the moment. He does that that uh, that that sort of com- comedic thing where he's talking to, uh, you know, he uses the, any any kind of speech by Boris Johnson uh, or he did Dominic Cummings, you know, where he's in the other room feeding him the answers. It's very funny. Oh yeah, well, but, but I think that's the translator's job. You remember when uh, it was the whole bedroom the mattress thing, and it, it was he was only in power what a week, less than a week. Yeah. You know, and I'm a, I'm a germaphobe. I mean, it was hilarious, really, that four days later, Putin was uh, sort of defending him. But the translator, I thought, got the best gag. It was, you know, you've got the Russian translator. Forgive me, I can't do Russian. The, the Burgess Nuburg. I doubt very much whether I am incumbent president of the United States. You know, the Miss World would go to a Miss World competition. Then take home two women of diminished responsibility. And then he goes, albeit they're the best in the world. I fell off my chair. It was the funniest. I know. It's the funniest news. It was like these, these superpowers just having a laugh with each other. I know. Was... I know. You just think when the cameras disappear, they're, they're just you know for, for telling telling jokes to each other for the rest of the yeah. day. But I mean, what about Ian Blackford? Because I know that uh, uh, his voice well. was heard uh, this week in the Houses of Parliament. Uh, he didn't have much to say about Margaret Farrier, the woman who's well, now. Well, I think uh... they use the terms now, the... Mister Squeaker, Mister Squeaker. <laughs> It's I remember because well no rightly right rightfully so they're raging and he's really been sort of all, he, all I've really kind of caught him saying is Margaret needs a period of reflection mm. um, and notably the thing about her going into church you know she went into church she was spreading the good word among other things uh, it, it's it's kind of horrific that. That happened, really. I know. You know so, well, also, nobody said William much, Wallace. <laughs> well, I mean, nobody said anything about the poor people in the Houses of Parliament. You know, there's quite a few people of of, of an age uh, who should be considered vulnerable, and Parliament <laughs> is not a very safe uh, sort of environment if you're trying not to catch COVID because it's narrow well, corridors, it. everybody's kind of squeezed in. I know they're not, you know, in the chamber, it's all very well, but walking around, it's really, really tight corridors, and you walk into people, and she's walking around, you know, effectively with this terribly, what we're told is a terribly dangerous disease, and yet, yep. uh, you know, she's still in a job. Well, they should have had Ian both of them just kind of crack her one over the backside with a bat, you know, <laughs> silly mid off, out. Well, you mean Lord, but my Lord both of them. Lord both of yeah. Yeah, absolutely right. Who's how, how soon before my Lord both of them is, uh, is seen uh, in flagrante uh, in one of the bars, you know, where he's decided to rest for the week? <laughs> well, I the hope afternoon. he gives me a call. I mean, this is this is, sounds like a party because are the bars going to close there? I don't think so. Well, I mean, at the moment, you're going to have to come a bit further south than Newcastle, I think. You're going to have to probably come all the way maybe down to London to find a pub that's actually open. I think everything north of Watford is going to be shut down. It's, 
that's crazy. I mean, my brother, I, feel, I, mean, I really feel for Donald because they, they spent a fortune on turning... And the garage, uh, yeah, it looked their, great, the flagship, didn't it? Yeah, well, the, the flagship venue that they've got, they, they, they spent a lot of money and turned it into this electric garden, right. obeying all the rules, mm. trying to do something kind of stylish, and now this. Yeah. I know. It's absolutely horrendous. Well, he's going to be talking very shortly to us, and I'm sure uh, he'll be telling us how annoyed he is. Let's finish up with um, with a guy that uh, I haven't heard much about lately, but apparently I'm told he was seen on a beach the other day um, with a stick that was two metres long, trying to make sure that people stayed two metres away from him. We're talking about Alan Carr, um, who, <laughs> who, was a, who was doing some kind of stunt with a stick. Anyway, is all I can say. <laughs> but that's not the first time. Well, you see, because, of course, you can't even have a studio audience. Chatty Man is just going to be called Man. And what about the drink? It's absolutely terrible, Mike. Yeah, You, you know, there's no booze in the cabinet. Yeah, and you can't go on tour or anything, can you? You can't go no. to see your adoring fans anywhere. I've still got a rider, though. Have you? Oh, very good. I'm very glad to hear it. Well, listen, Lewis, how's the, how's the, how's the first spinning image gone down? Um, I was surprised. Uh, well, to, did I, I mean, read, I, by the way, correctly, that Matt Ford is doing Trump on... on uh, that's on, right, yeah. Why is he doing it? Oh, well, I think he's doing a good job of it. He's, he's writing for the show, too. Yeah, but he's, oh, so he's written himself a, ple- a part, has he? <laughs> Top man. Watch that There's guy. There's all these Trumps lining up outside the production offices going, listen, that's piss. I can do this. Give me a go at it. <laughs> well, listen, you should tell him from me that I think yours is better. He, oh, he, thanks, he, he won't appreciate well, that. He won't because he, he blocked me a few, uh, a few years ago for saying he wasn't very funny. <laughs> but there we are. Listen, Lewis, thank you very much indeed. Lewis McLeod, uh, man of many voices. Mid morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. Now, yesterday there was a bit of a glimmer of hope, it seemed to me, coming from Sir Keir Starmer. And similar things were happening up in the Scottish Parliament as well from the Labour leader up there, where he was asking Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, if he could provide any proof whatsoever that the 10pm curfew, which was brought in a few weeks ago, uh, had any basis uh, in medical science whatsoever. Now, according to Robert Jenrick, who was doing the rounds this morning, he told Julie Hartley Brewer that it was commonsensical uh, to close the bars at 10 o'clock. But he didn't really give us any medical reason for it. And he really doesn't doesn't seem to have, and I don't think the government has, any evidence that it's actually brought in for any particular reason. Let's talk to Councillor Judith Blake, leader of Leeds City Council, to find out what she's expecting. Um, Judith, a very good afternoon to you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Good afternoon, Mike. Good to be here. Yeah, thank you. Um, What are you expecting to hear, uh, first of all, and when are you expecting to hear it? Well, the enormous disappointment we've had is that the the, the, um, discussions that took place um, yesterday in Whitehall, leaked to the papers today, no uh, consultation with us as local leaders, and really no clarity to us exactly which of the tiers um, a city like Leeds is going to end up in. So we're asking for urgent um, discussions with government to understand what they're planning, why, if they're bringing these restrictions in, are they leaving it till next week? Mm. Uh, What will happen this weekend um, if um, places expect to be severely restricted after the weekend. So we um, wrote to um, Matt Hancock a couple of days ago, um, just laying out, you know, our priority is to bring the infection down. It is um, rising at an, uh, an, an alarming rate and that has to be our priority. So what we're saying is alongside any restrictions that they want to bring in, they need to give us um, more powers locally, more um, involvement in test and trace so we can run our own programs and our ability to work with um, people in our community. So if they're asked to self-isolate, 
they've got access to the support that they need to do that. These are the measures that will actually make the difference in making sure everyone understands what the restrictions are right. and complies with the social distancing, wearing face masks, all of the health measures that will actually start to address the rise of the um, cases. Right. And what is the situation in Leeds specifically, Councillor? Is it is it a clear cut? I mean, can you say that certain parts of the city perhaps are more um, infected than others? Or is it is it what's the situation? So the situation is that we're seeing rises in cases across the whole of um, the city. Um, but we are seeing um, a, a spike in cases in the students' areas at the moment. So we're working really very closely with all of the universities in the city, working with the student bodies and directly with students themselves mm. to make sure that there, there is more compliance. We are pleased to say that at the moment the, the numbers in our care homes are are low and that's uh, you know a, the result of intensive work. But the hospitals across um, Leeds are seeing a rise in numbers. They've seen a doubling in, in numbers of COVID cases mm. over the last week. And of course, there's a real concern that they will lead to an increase in the number of cases in intensive care um, and ultimately to more deaths. So this is a very serious situation and we want to work with government to really ask them to understand that we have the expertise at a local level with our public health colleagues, environmental health colleagues and our ability to reach right down into our communities to make sure that we get the response that we need to deal with this. It's interesting, isn't it, about the students, because I've spoken to people at both Newcastle uh, and at Sheffield universities, both of which have got a very big infection rate, uh, which seems to be rising, despite the fact that they're kind of locked down. Um, and some people say, well, it's partly because it's difficult to stop students from mingling with one another, which seems to be the main cause, the root cause of this. But if they are, in fact, locked down and the infection rate is going up, I mean, clearly locking them down isn't the right thing to do, is it? Well, I think that applies across the board. So our concern with, um, um, you know, the, the idea that we close down all of our hospitality venues, pubs, restaurants, etc., mm. that it will actually drive the problem underground and that people will start to socialise in their own homes. And what we're seeing in Leeds, and I'm sure we're not unique, is actually we believe that the spread of the virus is happening more in those, um, in those um, domestic settings rather than in the, the pubs and restaurants. The, the businesses have responded very well. They've brought in all of the um, secure measures, are, um, making sure that they're COVID safe. Um, and closing them down, I'm afraid, could have just the opposite um, effect yeah. from the one that the government is hoping to achieve. Well, quite. And and again, I mean, the question hasn't yet been asked by the Labour Party in, in, in Westminster or in, in Holyrood, but it may well be. Um, it doesn't appear necessarily that the infection rate is being increased because of people going to pubs and restaurants. Because as you say, people in pubs and restaurants will tend to behave probably more towards the rules than, than when they're at home. Uh, no, exactly. And uh, repeated calls for evidence around all of these measures um, hasn't resulted in the evidence coming forward and um, similarly we've asked for a review of the 10 p.m closure yeah. ruling right. you know people coming out onto the streets uh, all at once some of the um, shops uh, being open people going in very crowded situation buying alcohol and then of course taking it probably taking it home mm. and, and again that exposure in an enclosed unsafe space is where we know that the virus um, does its does its work and uh, and spreads 
um, fastest. Yes. And do you have any sympathy with those, uh, and I include in that the, the, those scientists who made the, 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 the sort of global declaration the other day, who say that a different approach is really needed here because the damage which is being done to people's physical health and their mental health as a result of this kind of obsession with the spread of COVID, which appears to be unstoppable, um, it might be that there's a better way. Well, I think we, we're, we're all um, learning um, as we go uh, along with this and we need to make sure that we've got, you know, real, real investigation of the of what works and gathering the evidence and looking at the different ways. But we are really concerned absolutely about the mental health of our population. And I think going into winter, particularly in the north, where we, you know, in a couple of weeks, it will be getting dark around mm. five o'clock in the evening. Yeah. Um, is something that we're all concerned about. So we've actually made the case that we need less restrictions around um, people meeting in, you know, sticking with the rule, the, the rule of six, mm. but that they're able to meet in, in a, an outdoor environment because the evidence suggests to us that the spread of the virus is much, much lower in an outdoor environment than an indoor yeah. one. And it may well be um, that, uh, you know, the, the, the evidence and the emphasis on trying to stop the spread is the wrong emphasis, because if you can't stop the spread, then surely what you need to do is to concentrate on those people who are most likely to be damaged and injured by COVID rather than those who aren't. Well, we believe that if we brought in um, the correct measures, working with people, getting compliance about what we know will stop the spread, and that's um, keeping distance, wearing face coverings, all of those messages, um, that, that we, can, we can actually have far more control over what, um, what, you know, how we can um, move forward. I think the problem is that the messaging has been very confusing, often contradictory. Mm. People don't know what they're supposed to be doing in one part. If you, you know, for example, in Greater Manchester, where you have different districts that have got different rules, I think that is frankly unacceptable. And yeah. we need that real simplification, clarity, which I think the government is hoping that the tier system will bring in, but at the moment, we don't have the detail and we certainly don't haven't had any influence in in shaping what that will look like well listening to um um, um my um, my my friend up in uh, scotland donald mcleod was talking about the central belt situation you know in scotland you can't get a drink in edinburgh um but you can in fife so if you get in a car and drive across the fourth bridge which you wouldn't really want people to do um, you can go there and have a drink and then drive back, probably over the over the uh, limit of drink driving. You know, so it's sort of creating more problems in some ways than it's than it's solving. There is a suggestion that alongside the closures, there will be a travel restriction, and we're really concerned in Leeds that that would have a, a devastating impact not only on the hospitality sector but on the retail sector in our city centre as well. Yeah. So, I mean, are you hopeful that you'll get some form of information today um, or are you, are you, do you have to wait for somebody to send an email to you? Well, we're, um, we're asking for direct conversations and I'm hopeful that we will now achieve that. I think the way that the information was leaked last night has caused outrage right across the country and I think the pressure now is on government ministers to to come out and work with us to talk to us and really help um, um, to, to plan a sensible way forward that will have the, the greatest benefit. Mm -hmm. Councillor Judith Blake, thank you very much indeed. Leader of Leeds City Council there. Still not knowing yet what the new rules are going to be, uh, if they're going to change, when they're going to change, at what point uh, they will be informed of that change. 
Um, it really does seem to be a very strange way to run uh, the control of a pandemic, doesn't it? 0344 499 1000. It's almost as if uh, they haven't decided yet. It's almost as if they don't know what they're doing. It's almost as if they're making it up as they go along, isn't it? Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.